So several years ago, my wife and I, this is before kids, we, we took a trip to New York City right after Thanksgiving. And we were there to do all the touristy stuff that you're supposed to do, right? But really, we built the whole trip around one event. My wife is a, is a Christmasaholic. She loves Christmas, and she had always wanted to see the lighting of the tree in Rockefeller Center, right? This is like the Mecca of Christmas people. Um, she wanted to see this thing get lit up December 1st, and so we, we scheduled our trip to be there to see that, that one thing. So we'd asked around. We said, like, where do we need to be? What's the best place to show up? What time? And people had told us. And so about 4.30 p.m. as the sun's starting to go down, we find a spot on a, a cordoned off street, literally in the street right off the curb, shoulder to shoulder with thousands of other people doing the exact same thing. It's cold outside. We can see the tree. It's magnificent. The decorations are unbelievable. The excitement is, is, is building right? That, that we're all here to see the same thing. We're here to see that tree lit up in all its glory. And we know we have some waiting to do because there's a show that's going to happen and they're going to light that, that tree at the end of the show. It's a, a live television show. So we wait about an hour. They finally start the show. The show's okay. This is the early 2000s. So it was I think it was like Jessica Simpson singing Santa Baby. Uh, Nick Lachey was, this dates it a little bit, right? Nick Lachey was there. Um, this was a while back. And it was all right. But you could feel as the show was going, people were really getting antsy for the, the, the big thing. The moment when the tree would light up. That's what we were there for. And it would build and build. So by the time we got to the countdown... We'd been there for several hours. People were ready. And we, we start saying with the, the folks that are on the mics at the front, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. And at 3, all of us kept going. We said 2, 1. But I noticed nobody from the front on the mics was saying anything. We got 2, 1, 0, nothing. No tree, no lights, nothing. A few seconds later, a voice comes over the PA system, and you hear this man say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. That concludes our dress rehearsal. We'll be back for the live show in about an hour. We'd been standing at that point for about five hours in the cold on the street in New York. It's about 9 o'clock. We had to wait another 45 minutes. Here comes the, the next show. I'm ready to go. I'm telling Jackie, this thing will be lit tomorrow. Let's come back. I haven't eaten since 4.30. That's not safe for anybody. We got to go. And she taught me into it. No, we're going to stay. That's what we're here for. We're going to be here for the lighting. And sure enough, we stayed till about midnight. And that's when the, the second show ended, hearing Jessica Simpson sing Santa Baby again. And we got to the end, and she was right. It was gorgeous. It was worth the wait. I, I thought, I thought uh, because I was so amped up for the first time that that was the end and it was just time for us to, to go. But if I had left at that point, I'd have missed what came next, the real show. I, I think we do that a little bit with Christmas sometimes. 
we build it up, build it up, build it up, and then we get to the 25th and the stuff that goes on around it, and we're with our family and everything, and then the 26th and the 27th comes, and it's down with the lights and down with the tree and, and off with the songs, and we'll move on to the next thing and, and bring it all back up next year. As if, as if Christmas was the end of anything. The birth of Jesus isn't the end of a story. It's the beginning of one. It's the beginning of God doing something beautiful and new and special in the world. And so that's what we want to recognize today as we come here. You notice we, we, we've kept the, um, the decorations up. Part of that is because we, we want to acknowledge that Christmas keeps going on. It's part of God's story. It's the beginning of it. And so today we're going to finish our series, Behold the Face of Grace, and we're going to do so by by reading another story that comes after the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Okay? Now in Luke chapter 2, you're kind of faced with this problem. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but God's got a problem. God has sent his son into the world as the Messiah. And the problem is, who's going to believe that? Because this little baby comes in the most vulnerable state you could possibly come in, can't feed itself, can't take care of itself, has to lean on Mary to do that, but even more so, can't speak for itself. So here's the baby Messiah come in a state where it can't even say it's the Messiah. He can't speak for himself because he can't speak at all. So how does that message get out? Well, Jesus needs witnesses. God needs credible people, credible voices that will speak out and be advocates for Jesus. We'll talk for him and say, this is the one that God has sent us. So really, the book of Luke, especially the first two chapters, it's a list. It's a list of witnesses that come to say Jesus is who God says he is. Starts with an angel. That angel talks to Zechariah. Zechariah talks to his wife and their son uh, that's to come. John the Baptist will be a witness. Then another angel comes as a witness to Mary. And Mary and Joseph, their lives are changed by having this son, Jesus. And then another whole host of witnesses, angels, appear in the sky after the birth to announce Jesus to some shepherds who then come and witness it for themselves. Story after story of people coming, witnessing, beholding the face of Jesus, and then going to tell it. Pretty incredible. What we want to do today is we want to hear from one more of those witnesses. At the end of Luke chapter 2, there's there's more than one left, but we're going to just hear from one. Mary and Joseph, they're good Israelites. And so they do what you're supposed to do for your, your baby, according to the law. And one of the things they do is they take him to the temple for all kinds of rituals and rites and sacrifices that they have to go through because they have a baby boy. So they go to the temple, and it's at the temple that they meet a man named Simeon. And the Bible in Luke chapter 2 describes him in this way. It says, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. 
The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Okay, you don't get a more credible witness than Simeon. Simeon is the best that Israel has to offer. He's devout, he's righteous, he's waiting for for the Messiah to come. He spends his time in the temple, hanging out, waiting for that to happen. He is the best witness that Israel could put forth, Simeon. And when he gets the chance to testify, when the Spirit leads him to this baby, he picks this baby up and he wastes no time. He starts making some of the boldest claims that you could possibly want to make. He holds a baby up and he says about this baby, This is the salvation of God. This child will bring light, not just to the the Israelites, that's important to him, but that's not all, to the whole world. In some translations, they say to the Gentiles, light to the Gentiles. This is for everybody. And he makes this claim in front of all the people in the temple, and you have to think some of those folks are like, Plenty of people have come, capable, willing men who could speak for themselves, claiming that they were the Messiah. And now Simeon is saying this baby's the Messiah, which sounds crazy, but it is Simeon. And if somebody's going to know, it's probably him. And Simeon says those words just exactly so they can hear it. And they could start to believe, maybe, that this is the one. This is the one who brings salvation. And they desperately needed that story. They needed to hear at that time that God was working in the world. Right now, in our world, I I, I don't want to say more than any other time, but it does seem pretty urgent. We are desperate for credible witnesses to step forward and to declare the coming of the salvation of God. To declare that God is bringing reconciliation and love and mercy and forgiveness and peace into the world. On a day like today when we're mourning the things that happened last night because of a natural disaster, when we turn on the news and we see uh, the terrorism, we see the violence, we see the hatred, We look into our own lives and we see marriages falling apart. We see uh, parents and kids at, at battle with each other, communities being torn apart. Look at at social media, and that doesn't help the situation much, right? This is a time when we need credible witnesses to step forward and say that the salvation of God is here and it's a light for everybody. Not just a few, not just the holy, not just for the ones that look right. That this salvation, this joy is for 
everyone. That's the message. And we need people to stand up and say that. Because we're not called to just come and behold the face of Jesus. After we behold the face, we're then called to go and be witnesses of that. Testify to what we've seen. And I know that sounds hard because we, we, we have a hard time thinking about how do I do that? How do I truly witness about the, the, the things I know to be true in God to other people. And I want to say two things real quick that might kind of help, help that a little bit. Um, not solve all the problems, but just a couple of, of things to be thinking about. The first, off, first thing is we have to make it personal. That's what I love about what Simeon says in this story. It's so personal for him. He's been waiting for this forever that when he sees it and he sees this baby and he knows without a shadow of a doubt this is the salvation of God, he says, okay, take me now. I'm ready to go. I'm so confident that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. I'm done. I can go. It has been fulfilled it's, it has this, this beautiful personal ring to it. And I think we have to do the same thing. We have to find ways of, of not just being able to talk about what Jesus has done for the world, but being able to talk about what Jesus has done for us. If we're going to testify, we have to know what we're testifying about. So as we get ready for a new year, I, mean, you can, I know a lot of you will spend time, like me, spend time on resolutions and some things you want to do differently in the coming year. One of the things I'd love for you to, to really reflect and meditate on, pray about, is the idea of what has Jesus saved you from? What is your story? What do you have to testify about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life? I guarantee you, you have those stories. I know a lot of you, and I know how God is working in your life. I know you have things to say. But first we have to reflect on that and make that personal. Know that he is, he is doing things for us. And then the other issue is we don't consider ourselves credible witnesses, right? I'm not like Simeon. I'm not the best that Christianity has to offer. I'm not the best that Riverside has to offer. I'm not the best that my family has to offer, right? How can I be a credible witness to this? I don't want you to miss part of this story that I think is so beautiful. Depending on your translation, as this story introduces Simeon, either two or three times, it says that he was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit was on him. The Spirit told him that he wouldn't die before seeing the Messiah, and the Spirit leads him to the temple that day. Simeon isn't a credible witness because of who he is. Simeon's a credible witness because of who's talking through him, because of the Spirit working in him. You are not a credible witness because of who you are. You're a credible witness because of the spirit that speaks through you. I truly believe that. That God is working through us and wants us to be witnesses that testify that the salvation of God is coming and is here. 
That's what this whole series is about. And so we want to take a couple moments this morning to declare that uh, together with, with joined voices in a song. So would you stand? And DJ is going to lead us in a song together. Salvation belongs to our God. Simeon is clear about that. A salvation comes from God. And he makes this bold announcement. But he isn't through testifying yet. He's got more to say. And we talked about the, the part that he says out loud in front of everybody else so that everybody can hear. But there's a quieter moment that happens right after it. it it's Simeon, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how to picture it. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I, I kind of picture it that he's standing there and he sees this young girl holding this baby. And something in his heart just kind of moves. Maybe it's the spirit again. And he looks at this, this girl and he feels like he has to tell her something else. He needs to tell her another part of the story. And so, so maybe he waits for Joseph to, to take the baby over for one of the, the rituals in the temple. And Mary's just off by herself, standing there. And Simeon moves close to her and he leans down into her ear and he says these words. The child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Okay, so Simeon's not the guy you invite to the baby shower, right? Um, this, is not, this is not the most encouraging thing that you want to say to a young mother. A soul, that a sword will pierce your own soul. So why say it? What in the world is Simeon thinking to say something like this to this girl? I, I don't know, but here's my guess. I think he wants her to know the whole truth. He wants her to know the whole story. That yes, this child will bring the salvation of God to the world. That's true. He'll do that. But that salvation will come with a price. It comes with a heavy, heavy price. He knows the truth that those who behold the face of grace are left with a choice, right? This has been true ever since Jesus came onto the scene, that when you come into contact with Jesus, you can't just ignore him. You're left with a choice to either accept and follow him or to reject him. And Simeon knows that, and he knows some are going to, especially Israelites, they're going to reject him as the Messiah, and they're going to oppose him. And it's almost like he knows what the, the end of the story is going to be, like we do. He, he, he uses that same image of when Jesus is on the cross, uh, and, and at the end of that moment, they go to test. They go to test whether he's really dead or not, and they, they pierce his side, right? And he uses that image to talk to Mary and say, a sword will pierce your own soul too, because he knows she's part of the sacrifice, that she's going to lose this son. And he knows that's going to be hard, but he knows that's part of the salvation of God. Salvation comes with sacrifice. That's what God shows us. You know what they do with that big shining tree in Rockefeller Center when they're done with it every year? 
For the last nine years, when they take it down, they send it to a mill. And they turn it into to lumber to be used for habitat for humanity houses. And I know, I know Christmas trees aren't particularly Christian, but there's something right about that symbol to me. That this big, gorgeous symbol of Christmas would, would then be taken apart, cut into pieces, and used to help those who need help. That kind of that says it. It says what Jesus has done, given himself for us. If we could have uh, 16 men who could go help uh, at the back to serve communion right now, we're going to partake in just a moment. I, I circled around a, a, a table, metaphorical table, several tables, a few days ago with my family for Christmas dinner. Um, it was about, I don't know, 20 of us, 25 of us, something like that. Family, friends, and I'll just tell you, I'm no good in those moments. I kind of eat and listen. There's plenty of talking going on around me. I'll just be there and listen. But there was something that struck me during that meal. And it was, it was just the notion that everywhere I look in that room, I see Jesus. Because I know those people, and I know their stories, and I know what Jesus has done in their lives, and what Jesus is doing. I sit across from my, my uh, older adopted sister who came from a, I've told you her story before, who came from uh, a home of, of abuse and poverty, and God has brought redemption and, and love into her life. I sat with, with people who had suffered incredible medical issues recently, with a friend of the family who's struggling in marriage right now, parents who have, have struggled with, with children, with developmental disorders and, and other issues, and Jesus has been right there beside them in all of it, strengthening them. And it's not just what he's done for them, it's what he's done through them. The whole time we're at dinner, all 20 of us are trying to corral uh, my bonus nephews to a four-year-old and a two-year-old boy that my sister and her husband are fostering right now. And to, and to bring them in and have them be part of the family for the holidays. To love on them in ways they've never seen before. And to hear my dad and one of the other men talking about going to visit the hospital the next day. It was just story after story like that. <laughs> and it's not to brag on my family and say they're great people. They're great people, but it's not because of them. It's because of Jesus. I've seen what he's done in their lives and I've seen what he's done through their lives and it makes me want to be a better disciple. It makes me want to follow him more. It draws me deeper into this whole thing we call Christianity. It draws me deeper into sacrifice and giving and that's the table we're gathering around today. We do this every week. We gather around this table and we, and we partake of the symbols of Jesus' body which has been given for us on the cross. And as we end this series, Behold the Face of Grace, what better place to end than the cross? To know that this, this child that we've been looking at in the story of Christmas will grow to be a man who will give himself wholly and fully give his life for each and every one of us. And I look around this room and I see the ways that God has worked in your lives and worked through your lives and it makes me want to be a better disciple. It makes me want to follow him more. 
It makes me want to go deeper into this thing that we call discipleship. And I thank you for your faithful witness in my life. It's part of why I asked Jimmy to read the part of Simeon today. Jimmy's done that for me. And so many others of you have too. That's what this table's about. It's for us to remember Jesus, what he's done in our lives, and testify to what he's doing through us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for this group of people that's gathered around together this morning. We pray that you bless this meal that we're about to take, that it can strengthen us, that it can remind us of your son, that can strengthen our connection to the Holy Spirit and can draw us deeper into lives of sacrifice and selflessness. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.